Welcome to episode 338 of TechSync, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and the inimitable Jason Roberts. Well, hello, Jason. How you doing? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Pretty good. Life is all right, good. So we got some we got some stuff to talk about today. Well, let me just say, life was bad for for before this week. Very oh, bad. But right, I, I'm not going to get the... super deep into it. But I will just say that I had the kidney stone. Then the doctor basically said, um, he just said, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, surgery's not a problem. You know, he's like, look, you've got a 50-50 chance. It's either going to come out naturally, it's going to be very painful. Or, or you're you going to die. Or you can do surgery, and it's like, that's going to be super easy, essentially, right. is, is what he said. He was like, just, it was, it was not easy. It was really one of the worst experiences I've had in my life. And oh, um, if I had the choice again, I would definitely go for like one hour of excruciating pain versus like two weeks of being on opiates and like feeling high and being like in a crazy scenario, you know, just, just like not having my mental marbles together. And then you also lost your mental faculties. Were you like deranged a little bit? What were I, you? I was just not in a good way. It was like a dream state. Um, it just mm. wasn't good for like business and bootstrapping and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the experience of, of just going into the theater. I mean, I thought I wasn't going to say this, but I guess I will now that I'm speaking to you because it's kind of funny. Um, although it was really traumatic at the time. Okay. Um, when, when we sort of got into the operating theater, there's like eight people there. Like, oh, well, the uh, operating room. Yeah, the operating okay, right, room. Right, okay, okay. You call them like, the operating theater in, in England? Is oh, that is that what you, call you, you call them the room? Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's at the operating room, I guess, usually. I just, I mean, they, there was like so much machinery and different things and eight people and like a, a general an anesthetist. Anesthesia. anesthesia. And, yep. And I, I just said, look, I just said, look, can I have everyone's attention? Okay. I'm, I'm only in here. For this one kidney stone right here, this little <laughs> tiny kidney stone, nothing else. I don't want any accidents today. And everyone was like, mm. okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, but it was, it was. You'd, 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 read, you'd read too many stories of people like amputating someone's leg <laughs> and actually right. they just needed to. But um, yeah. I mean, I make light of it, but I, quite genuinely, it's one of the worst experiences of my life. So of the, just the, the so whole bad? thing. Why? It's just the, the pain was unbelievable. Like the, like the one hour of intense pain was 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 turned into the recovery when you're out what they do is they put a, a like a 12 inch stent which mm -hmm. basically goes into the urethra, or your the urethra which joins the kidney to the bladder and then uh -huh. that sits in you for a week and it's it, mm -hmm. it's really painful and there's a lot of other things that i don't really want to talk about that are very painful. so that as opposed to doing what What's just, the, uh, just, just letting the stone come out, and it just basically gets from the urethra to the bladder. That's the only point of pain, really, to get. The, oh, I see. That's the major point of pain. It's sort of like it. They, they say, you know, online, it, it equates to childbirth level type pain. So you had some regrets, is what you're saying for this choice. Some regrets. It was so. a bad decision. If I, if I, if I could do over, I would definitely not. You know, choose the um, surgery. That sounds horrible. Yeah, Sandy yeah. had kidney stones every single time she was pregnant. Which, of course, that's a kind of a double whammy. Oh my god! Um, so I'm 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 somewhat acquainted with how hellish it is. I you know it's fun, interesting, not nearly as bad as your as your experience. But um, when I had uh, I went and had um, surgery on my elbow for some sort of tendinosis that had been accumulating, and in FYI, it ultimately didn't work. It had no effect. Mm -hmm. But one of the things they did when I was kind of in the recovery room, they're like, "Is this? Are you still feeling any pain after whatever?" Um, 
you know, uh, op- I don't know if opioids or whatever I was on. And uh, I said, yeah, it's a little painful. They go, okay, well, we'll, we'll put a, a nerve, um, kind of like a nerve block, right? Mm. And I didn't, I was kind of half out. I wasn't paying that close attention. I'm like, okay, like a nerve block. And what that ended up doing is I couldn't control or feel anything in my entire left arm. And it, it was the worst experience. It was the worst, like 24 hours. I, I was every second I was like, Oh my God. Like I, cause I wanted to move my arm so badly. I wanted to, and I couldn't. And it was like, it was like being like trapped, being paralyzed. Or I was like, I would rather if, Sorry. Oh, that's uh a Siri piping in there. Um, <laughs> I, I would, I would like, I would have, if someone said, well, you're going to have to live like this for a couple of weeks or a month, I would say, just kill me. I can't do it. I'm not doing this. It's amazing how off kilter you can get, you know, like you're just sort of used to your norm. And then as soon as you get out of your norm, it's really feels bad. Well, that's why it's, that's why it's always good to sort of appreciate when you actually are healthy. Cause yeah. a lot of times you don't appreciate it until you're sick or injured or whatever. It's just like, man, you know, you're feeling good, you're not in pain. Everything's good. Like, it's like when it's a nice sunny day, you just gotta look at it and go, wow, this is amazing. Life is good. You know? Right. right. And, but, but we all just erase these bad moments from our life. And then, and then the slightest inconvenience or frustration comes up and then you're all like upset and world's unfair and this and that. And it's like, <laughs> right. dude, shut up. You know, know, it's like, like you're you're the vast majority of the problems that we deal with you know in this country even people who um you know aren't at the top of the 1.1 percent their lives are amazing compared to everyone who's ever lived you know it's the stuff we can we get upset about and mm-hmm. or so you know anyway but yeah it's that's anyway, what glad well yeah, i was going to say that's what being on the um the the, the, the norco which essentially is a, an opium derivative essentially mm-hmm. did to me it like I guess 10x to that feeling. So like if I was working on a page and like one little piece was out of place, it was driving me nut like to it was a whole different thing, you know. Really? So it was That's just so a tough experience, yeah, and on, on that I would level have thought well. you would have been really happy, right? I thought people would take those opiates and they're like I don't know, it didn't it didn't do me life. well. But um That's but why anywho. you guys people get addicted to them, I thought. <laughs> well, um, well, you're all good. You're good to go now. You're all I am good. I I still have a little bit of pain. I've just started like uh, you know, moving again today. Like we went we went on a hike was good um so i think starting from monday like it's it was really two weeks out it's just two weeks gone you know but starting yeah. starting on monday i think we'll be back on back on track so good good well um speaking of health i've lost 21 pounds now wow that's awesome nice. I've, I've i've undone the covid weight gain and i'm down probably eight from there so finally broke through 200 <laughs> <laughs> good that's cool i ran into a friend i hadn't seen in years and he's like man you're looking good i'm like well you should have seen me in august <laughs> yeah i did did i see you then i don't even think i did see you then before you started your, uh, I, your weight loss i don't know no we i mean obviously we haven't seen each other in over well over a year so i'm sure and yeah, by the that. way just for, for listeners we are not off our two-week schedule it's just because of the kidney stone thing um you can see you know the very fact that we're here talking today proves we're we're back on track this is the real deal every two weeks it's uh yeah, yeah. Almost nothing's going to stop it. <laughs> I had a friend or two. I had a, one friend I talked to yesterday. He's like, you doing the show again? I got to, I got to check in. It's a good way to stay up on, stay up with whatever, what's new. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're doing that. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so, you know, speaking of staying up on things, um, I'm starting to question whether being on Twitter is even worth it. I, right. I've discovered that. So. I, I posted some stuff in the first week, you know, um, and I, I think I had like 230 
four followers at first. And I, I posted a few things I thought might be kind of interesting. And, you know, it's marginal engagement. A couple people might have liked it or something or not, nothing major. I mean, the coolest thing was that a few people like Don Felker and Michael Hartle and Hartle, Michael Hartle is the one who created uh, the Rails tutorial. And Don Felker, of course, we've had on. He's the Android guy hmm. and um, he has the, does the Fractured podcast. And um, so reconnecting with some friends like that was cool. But I've decided it's very, very distracting. Hmm. Right. It's a source of yeah. like, anytime you're the slightest bit bored or, you know, frustrated with whatever code you're trying to wrestle with, instead of just staying focused, you're like, oh, you click on a tab, your Twitter tab or something. And now you go down the Twitter hole for 15, 20 minutes, you know, or even 10 minutes or inevitably you come across some article or some comment that is really annoying and frustrating. And you're just like, God, why am I letting this seep into my life? I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's cognitive load. It creates cognitive load. But the other thing is... I think if you're going to do anything about marketing, well, this is just the way I feel, like you should be super purposeful about it and really, you're just going to have to really get into it. And so to, for Twitter, useful marketing, it's going to be like, a, it's going to be a major job, a major effort. I mean, just like blog posts are or whatever. You can't just go in and do a few tweets and all of a sudden hope it's going to bring a load yeah, of traffic. Well, I think, I think also it's, yeah, your, your Twitter following, unless you just are cultivating some very specific set of topics you talk about and you work on it for a very long time to where you have, I don't know, 50, 100,000 followers or something. I'm not sure it's even enough to read the needle because a lot of people just don't interact with, with most of the stuff, right? It seems to be that the amount of, it's just like we talked about, I think it was the last show or something we're talking about, the inefficiency of using a podcast to build a following. Mm. Like that is just not the way to do it. There's so much effort and time goes into just building up any kind of audience. And I think Twitter is, it's, it's, it's similar in the sense that it's not as much effort to write some tweets, but you're going to have to be tweeting and doing stuff and on it and be distracted yes. for years. Well, I just want to be know. clear that there are definitely founders who make a significant amount of money and their main channel is Twitter. Like mm -hmm. Daniel Vas Vasillo, I think his name is. Mm -hmm. Like, he he makes he's made a very big amount of money and it's all through Twitter, um, but it's yeah. just you know it's just a that's what you do you have to do that game you have to play that game and you have to do it all the time you have right? to you've got to be yeah. you got to be tweeting and interacting and da 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 I, I think I think it's much more efficient at least for me yeah it would be much more efficient to say okay I'm going to write a series of articles I wouldn't call them blog posts because they're even more thoughtful and and, and than a, than a blog posts, but I think those would be easier to get something that has some virality to it, some traction, hits Hacker News and makes some noise. It'd be much more efficient to spend four or five or six hours writing something really good. Mm, I completely agree. I'd written that down as the notes to this, because you, by the way, for, for listeners, this is kind of interesting. Um, we've actually shared a topic list before we've do, we're doing the show, which has never happened before. So we've had a chance to think about. Um, and, well, and I don't know if it didn't happen. I just don't think it's happened since like 2013. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's yeah, I mean, I was going to say that basically blog slash article uh, content marketing really is is very proven for both of us. Like we've both had some success. You, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've had success at sales, but you've definitely had success at making a lot of traffic and getting attention. Yeah, and well, I've, I mean, it, and it yeah. wasn't that much effort in the big scheme of things. That's I mean, right. it was yeah. like you had to come up with something good. You had to come up with good, a hook, a good idea. You had to do a good job and good job of executing it. And then it gives you, and then you have a shot, right? It may not 
happen. But if you do that 10 times and let's say you spend an average of, you know, I don't know, six hours writing an article, which is a lot of time. Like you really thought about it. You worked through it. You've rewritten it, rewritten it. And you do that 10 times. You spend a total of 60 hours spread over, I don't know, six months. And two or three of them get major traction. Those would be enough to get you off to the races to get the kind of initial user base. um, There is quite one thing I will say is that like when you do that cycle that you just described, um, even though it's impossible to hit 10 home runs, there's quite a feeling of, um, oh man, you know, when it doesn't take, it's like, oh God, I really thought this one was going to go. I put in so much effort. I really wanted that one to go. Yeah. Well, I think that's true. That's true. But I th- here's what I think about that is like when you and I first started the show, I don't know if you remember this. You may remember this, but one of the things I said when we first were conceptualizing doing it, I said, okay, well, if we do it, we have to commit to doing 10 shows no matter what. And I don't think you really had a strong reaction when you're like, okay, <laughs> like fine. Because <laughs> I remember thinking that if, you know, even though you and I were, I think we were excited and looking forward to it and we felt pretty confident that we could do a good job. I was also, it's part of me thinking like, you know, we may not be as happy with the first couple episodes of the reception or whatever, and then we might just let it die. And sure enough, after the first episode, we were both depressed at how bad it was. <laughs> if you recall, we were yeah, like, oh, remember, that was yeah. terrible. Yeah. It, it was, it was like you stepped to the plate to, 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 to he's like, oh, I'm going to hit a home run. And then like you get three, <laughs> three, three strikes in a row. And you're like, no, oh, it's yeah. terrible. You know, you're like, I thought I for sure I could at least connect with the ball. And so, but by committing to 10, we give ourselves the room to get better to develop some comfort level with what we were doing, to develop it into a bit of a habit, and to see some upward trajectory and some improvement. And you're like, okay, we may not agree after 10 episodes that it's an amazing podcast or something, but it's good enough and it's getting better. So I think I think doing something like this, you say, okay, I'm going to commit to doing sort of the content marketing or vi- writing viral posts. It's like, you, you said there's a certain amount of randomness to it, and you just have to decide, I'm going to do this. But... If you measure it to saying, okay, let's compare that to, um, you know, writing, let's say 10 big articles as opposed to getting a huge Twitter following, right? And I don't even know if you even had 100,000 followers, if that would compare in terms of attracting a, 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 um, a user base, as, as opposed to hitting, you know, the front page of Hacker News multiple times in a very targeted way. I still don't think having, you know, having 100,000 users and tweeting some stuff, I still don't know if it would have the same payoff. How long would it take to build up 100,000 users, assuming you don't have some existing celebrity? You do, you have to do the hunt and peck technique that I described before, which is basically, or, or you have a very, a couple of very lucky viral posts. Those are really the two ways that I know. So the hunt and peck yeah. is you, you try and add value to people who already have millions of followers and you constantly just target those people who but are, it would take a know, lot of time right a lot of effort yeah a lot of, effort. a lot of effort a lot of probably way more time and effort than writing 10 really really stellar articles mm. i bet yeah now i think some some people who just they may feel like they're just not good writers and they and they just they've had not had luck and that's fine like some people just you know you've got to figure out what works for you but i for me i'm just looking at this twitter thing and i'm just like you know i was sort of thought well part of just getting uh out the public um 
you know, it's a part of marketing would be just getting out public and just kind of connecting. And then I started realizing this is probably not the way this is just really distracting me from working on things I need to be working on, even if all I'm just just even being engaged with it at all. And then the other thing is that if you retweet or like something that's even remotely controversial, you could end up creating a problem for yourself later because everybody's so politically sensitive now. Right. Right. And I'm just like, you know what? Screw that. You know, it's I don't even know if it's worth it. This kind of segues into something, uh, the update I was going to give about Morning Brief. Yeah. I don't know if you want to, you want to. Well, I would just say one thing for yeah. you that sure. is, so it was, it was um, and we'll talk about this later, is the, there was a blog post on market, product market fit from the guy from, uh, founder of Superhuman. Oh, I'd love to talk about it. We can go straight into that right now. That was awesome. Okay. Okay. Here's a segue. Oh, you, did you read that recently oh, or did you read that I, before? I read it when you posted it. I, I like, I, uh, yeah. I sent you a text saying, dude, this is like one of the best things I've read. This is awesome. Yeah, I, th- I thought you did. When I read it, I'm like, my God, this is like the the map to Shangri-La or something. Like, this is, this th- is it. This is, is like, what you do. Yeah. So why don't you uh, give us a, an overview? Well, before yeah. I get to that, the reason I bring it up, the, the segue is this. I was trying to find him on Twitter. I don't. He's not on Twitter. You know why he's not on Twitter? Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know how many people they have on their waiting list? Wait, so they we're talking $30. about we're talking about superhuman now. So superhuman. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. Good, good. So, do you want to talk about what superhuman is? Uh, yeah, basically, it's an email client. So, what what they are is they're a wrapper on top of Gmail. So, you set up your Gmail account, and then you use Superhuman, which is an app that makes um makes it so that you can just be really functional with email really, really fast, loads of quick keys. But they have such a such an interesting funnel. Um, it's very tight, the whole ship. It's very well done, everything. Yeah, so do. I would, if I was going to describe the simple terms, I would say superhuman is to Gmail what Gmail was to the old Hotmail, right? It's like the next level in terms of speed and slickness. Like Gmail, when it came out, was like 2004. People were like, whoa, this is so fast. It's so fluid. It's so cool compared to like refresh the page, just look at a, uh, an email and, you mm, know. Mm. But uh, Gmail has just gotten re- gotten slow and they haven't really done much in the last 15 years. And it's just, you know, it, it's just you know, ads and crap. It's just not that great. And I think superhuman is is like that. So for people who spend a lot of time in their email client, you know, people who are doing 40, 50, 60 emails a day, that's a huge deal. Now, for somebody like you or me who might say, I don't know, I write somewhere between five and 10, you know, it's kind of borderline whether it's something you want to worry about or not. Um, I've, I, although I've intrigued having read a lot from, from, I'm like, shoot, even though it just well, it's so also awesome. very um, sort of driven in a sense uh, to make your workflow, you know, to make it really fast to communicate with that many people's like automated that's- canned text and, you know, like templates and things like that so it's not just the speed yeah well it's not just this page load but it's all the shortcut keys it's the snippets it's all this other stuff that they do to streamline it um okay so and it's something that i always you know talk about which is you want to optimize your inner loop in life what is it that you do every day what is it you do all day long or a lot of times optimize that. A lot of people end up optimizing the wrong thing, something they do once a week, once a year. That doesn't matter. It's just like in writing code, man. It's a, let's look at the thing that got, let's look at the function that got called 5 million times, not the, the function that got called 500 times. Right. You know, that's where the time is spent. That's where you see the biggest gain. And so for people who spend a lot of time in email, that's superhuman is worth $30 a month. Anyway, I think I heard him interviewed on... It was like this week at startups or something, along with the founder of FitPod. They're both, I think Jason Calacanis had invested in both of them. 
they have 400,000 people on their waiting list. That's a lot. They've got 15,000 actual customers. At 30 bucks a month. Yeah, which is good. So, and he's not on Twitter. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I, I tell you, when you listen to him, you're like, this guy's a really smart guy. He probably realized that Twitter is just a distraction and a waste of time. And at best, it's like you're, you're, you might interact, you might see a few things that may not make it onto Hacker News or into your news feed, which is rare. Usually the best stuff comes up there anyway. More than likely, you're going to get distracted or get yourself in some kind of hot water with some, with some, you know, political group or mob or whatever. And you're like, oh God, you know, and I see that happen to people all the time. So, to, so talk us through, or unless you want me to, the, you know, the, the superhuman. Yeah. Okay. Post. Yeah. So I think the, I've, yeah. I've reread this thing three times. Yeah. Let's, let's hear it. Yeah. It's really good. It's really good. I have, but for the record, I, have, I don't think I've ever reread anything three times. Okay. Except maybe the book. Um, and I can't remember the title. <laughs> anyway, um, it is the the biography of 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 um of uh, Stanislaw Ulam. Anyway, so here's here's the thing. So the way you get mark product market fit. Okay, so product market fit for people who don't understand it, it's basically when um you hit you cross this threshold where people really. The, the, the group you're targeting really wants your market, they, your product. They really want it. And they, they describe it as the sense, the feeling that instead of trying to push your product or service on people, people are trying to rip it out of your hands. I thought that was right. a great description. Yeah. Um, and so I read like 10 articles on, I watched a bunch of videos, Y Combinator, Startup School. Just sometimes I'll have this stuff playing while I'm coding just to kind of keep all the stuff center of mind, you know, or front of mind. And I was like, okay, but how do you, what's other than like talk to customers, which is right. You want to talk to customers and work on product, which is what Y Combinator and Paul Graham always say. Those are the two things you'd be doing. Anything else is probably a waste of time. Don't go to conferences. Don't get on Twitter. Don't do any of that bullshit. Work on a product. Go talk to the customers who are using it. Rinse, repeat until you get this point where, you know, people really want your product. Okay. And he talks, uh, Rahul Vora, I think his last name, I can't pronounce his last name, but Rahul is his, his, his name, the, the founder of Superhuman. And he says, okay, you know, they were in a situation where he was unclear exactly how do we get there. And so in order to measure product market fit, you use the Sean Ellis um, uh, questionnaire, the Lean Startup questionnaire, which is like, how would you feel if you could no longer use a product? And I think he came up with this, this is like mid 2000s. And if 40% of the people, of less than 40% of the people who say, okay, so 40% of the people are more, say, very disappointed, you have product market fit. So you have three answers. You have very disappointed, somewhat disappointed, and not disappointed. Okay. Yeah. So how would you feel if you no longer had access to this product? Very right. disappointed medium disappointed not disappointed. somewhat yeah. disappointed yeah. not yeah. disappointed um and if you hit if 40 percent are above a for a very disappointed you've hit product market fit that seems to be the point of inflection yeah. based on his experience of being growth hacking doing had a starting growth at dropbox and logged me in and i don't know Ventbrite or wherever he was at and he's like that's that's where it's happened. And I think Hit and Shaw early in the early days of, of Slack sent out a um, a, uh, a sort of questionnaire on uh, to see how how the Slack users felt, and it was like fifty one percent would be very disappointed, which explains why they grew so quickly. Mm -hmm. um, okay, and so what they did, he said, he said, he said he wanted to find a formula. Like we need to figure out more of a formula, like more of a 
a specific way to go about achieving this, not this sort of nebulous, like just make the product better, talk to users, iterate kind of stuff. And so what they did is they said, okay, first they measured how many fell into each of the three categories. And unfortunately, only 23% fell in the category of very disappointed. And that's when he's like, oh, shit, <laughs> that's not good, right? And so then what he did is he said, okay, if we segment the type of users, like, because I think they had the questionnaire, you have some follow-up questions. It was the type of roles they had. And it was 32% of the people who were founders and managers said very disappointed. Hmm. So it's like, okay, that's okay. This type of, this might be our market. You just grew by 10% for this specific customer segment just just by segmenting and just yeah. going okay let's just look and figure out who in this group are very disappointed who really cares like who do we need to care who do we need to think about or who we need to you know worry about and so then he created they did like a word cloud they they because they, they said the, one of the follow-up questions was like what is your primary benefit or what do you really like about it and i think it's like an open open-ended text box kind of thing and they dumped all that into like a, a word cloud generator Right. And it was like this big uh, wor word speed right in the center. Like that's what people care about is fast mm. speed. That's what people care. They're like, oh, OK, so people like it because it's fast. Then what they did is they looked at the next group of somewhat disappointed. And they said, all right, well, let's look at the ones who had the same primary benefit being speed. And then let's look at the, how they answer the question. What did they not like or what was holding them back? And they decided not if it, they would not look at the people who were somewhat disappointed who had a different benefit, because if they went on that direction, you're maybe you're kind of chasing in all these different directions. You're unfocused about your product development trajectory. So we're going to go to people who are somewhat disappointed who also speed was the primary benefit. And the majority of them said mobile integration mm -hmm. and calendar integration and mobile was like the big ones. So they're like, OK, we could do that. Right. And they had held off on mobile because they didn't have a ton of funding and they just needed to focus on one thing. But they realized that that was the big thing. And so then they said, OK, let's look at the list of things that are holding people back. Being mobile, calendar, uh, calendar integration, I think it was something else. And they said, all right, let's let's order them by how important these things are listed by this group and how much work it's going to take. And we'll kind of, you know look at the ones that, that we could get the low hanging fruit of things that we want the most. And they worked on that. And over three, after three quarters, they got well above the 40% mark and things just took off. Mm. That's great. I'm really glad you, you've, you know, explained it much better. Do you feel job. like, did I miss anything? No, that was that great. Gets... You did. A, in fact, you did a better job because I'd forgotten about the word cloud stuff, which was, which was kind of a big point. Oh, yeah. and by the way, they have those online, like, you know, you go online, like JSON parsers or online for, you know, it's yeah. like online word cloud. There's a bunch of just dump their text in and you get your word cloud. So it's That's not like a, it's yeah. a special tool. And um, I was like, that is it. Because I was spending a bunch of time um, investigating all the growth hacking stuff. I was like, okay, we're going to be launching relatively soon. I need to start thinking about the launch and the, and the marketing and email list. And it was funny as I started to um, read about or, or watch a lot of videos from Y Combinator, they were like, you know, screw that. Like, don't worry about marketing growth hack. Just make a great product that like 10 people love. Yeah. Right? Like Paul Buchheit, the founder, the creator of Gmail would say like, you know, like he, they, when, when he initially presented Gmail to the, the, the board, they were like, look, you know, or to the executive committee, they were like, look, sounds neat, looks neat and all, but when you get a hundred people to love 
this pro at love Gmail within Google, then we'll talk about releasing it. And he's like, you'd be surprised how hard it is to get a hundred people <laughs> to love your right, product. Right, yeah. And occasionally they would go around the people or they would, they would go around to people and be like, so what, what's it going to take to get you to say you love this product? And some people would have a huge list of things. It was like, had it basically had to be a clone of, of outlook. And they're like, I right, screw that guy. <laughs> Yeah, like, right, we're never right. going to make him happy, yeah. right? It's not about just making making everybody happy. It's like you got to figure out who are the people who could potentially love it. You have to accept you've got to let go of people. That's something I learned with Blogio. It's like, you just can't. Like, and the problem, the problem is, is as well, like it's so important to be talking to customers, but when you look at a cross-section of customers, they're going to basically want the moon. Essentially, they're going to want you to become their own private developer. Yeah, so you've got exactly. a song. Your job as a as a, as the founder is to like work out. Okay, these are the right people I need to connect with and follow, and these are the people. And I it need could to just change over go. time. You yeah. might have like who's my initial group that I need to because we need to get a certain level. We need to have escape velocity, but it may have to evolve over time. You know, you don't have to worry about later what's going to evolve. To you just got to get escape velocity. And you're right. You 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 try to make everybody happy. You're going to go nowhere. You're not going to have enough development hours to get any of that stuff. It's going to be an incoherent product because you have too much stuff. You know, I mean, if if we look back at it and 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 you say, okay, why did a plugio? Why did it work, and then why did it not work better? For instance, why did Buffer come along mm. and win? And the reason Buffer came along and win is they were more focused on just the one thing that you were focused on, but then you were trying to make lots of you were just mm. doing too much stuff. It was like too this much, power yeah. tool, this Swiss Army knife, and it was unclear like who's this for and why would I use it? And Buffer, it's like, look, just schedule your tweets, man. And everybody's like, yeah, I get it. That's that's annoying because I have I sit down, I have some ideas, I can't do them all at once, and I forget to come back later. Right, really simple. The name, everything works. Yeah, and I think. Um, I think that's a that's a just a general truth is that you gotta you gotta stay focused and I I came across the same or I had the same sort of thought process when I went and met with a um a a teacher who's you know he's won a bunch of awards been with a, is a as a math teacher within the school district and he and I've been you know friendly for a number of years and I, and he was really excited about potentially using math Acad math academy software in his class for next year and we sat there for two hours and talked about stuff and we're very much on the same page of everything but what i quickly realized is selling to schools and making teachers happy was going to be a nightmare because yeah. what they need and want or rather what they what they want a lot of time has doesn't have very much to do with optimizing the learning process for the student well they all have different processes and they all do it differently with their districts as well so so yeah, it's a, just a, a lot of it can be about like, well, this is just the way I want to do it. it makes life easier for the teacher. Maybe yeah. it it makes it's it, but it but it but it, it'll lead you in the wrong direction. It's like that yeah. more enterprise where as opposed to like selling directly to the end user and just trying to focus on making a great experience for that end user, you end up just getting pulled in the wrong direction. Would you close the door, Jack? Thanks. So Anyway, I was like, you know, because I was kind of excited. I'm like, you know, we could get it in to a bunch of classes and make it. And then I said, you know what? This would just be a mistake. Don't try and sell to schools. Don't try and do anything. Just focus on the initial market, which is going to be homeschool, gifted, enrichment kind of stuff. Like yeah. that is a way big enough market and it'd be way easier to to develop the UI and everything to, to custom fit that and to make a really great experience. And then we can grow out of that. And of course, this is not new knowledge. I mean, crossing the chasm was it Jeffrey Moore's book. I mean, this is stuff people talk about all the time, but it's, it's easy. I think as an entrepreneur to like, just 
want to service anybody who expresses some interest and enthusiasm about your product, but it's really dangerous, I think. This, this is a good segue for the stuff I'm going to talk about with Morning Brief. Okay. Yeah, uh, where, you know, where we're up to. So this is yeah. kind of an update. So we have been, we've been working on it. So I've got a couple of things that I can tell you about. I've got an answer. Uh, a few people have asked me like what the tech is um, because they're interested in it from a technical point of view. I've got an answer for that now that I feel good about, and I'll get into that in a second. But the other thing is, is that as we've been working on this, um, we've realized that it's big. It's, I mean, we, we already knew it was big, but it was, it's become abundantly clear how big it is the more we were working on it, that it's, there's, how it's big a, the market potentials it, or how big the technology the, problem, is? the technology it's, it's a heavy lift. It's a heavy right. lift to, to make it, to get it to its potential. Even when you just keep it to just a very simple, simple thing that we're talking about keeping it to, which is sending you an email and having a web interface to show you the latest hot links, even just that, those two things, because that's all we're for, that's our focus. Um, it's still hard to get there. So we've had a little bit of a change of heart in how we're going to roll this out uh, to the market that it goes a lot along. It's sort of going to be interesting to talk about with regard to what you just said. So we, we are going to kickstart this essentially. We're going to build our own little Kickstarter okay. and work on getting, selling a thousand seats at a hundred bucks a pop to basically essentially join us on the journey here. So, 100 bucks uh, per what, year? No, for li lifetime. So basically... Why not, do it, why not just do a monthly thing? Because this, it's, a, it's a Kickstarter. You're basically, you're rewarding, you're rewarding those people oh, for, for, being part, for being part of it. I to see. Sort of, because they're, they're obviously going to be more involved than a regular customer. So we're, we're very specifically targeting early adopter, you know, real early adopter slash nerd slash enthusiasts in that way. And there, there are a certain amount of those uh, people. And, um, you know, we're going to bring them all into a Slack and we're going to talk to them and it's going to be very hands-on development. Okay. And the real, real, the first thing that, oh, it's already almost, well, almost done, probably a couple of weeks, is the sending of the email. But um, yeah, we're just going to sort of sell them on that vision that they're, they're part, they're essentially part of this and they want the, the very first group of people. And the reason why, there's a couple of reasons. Um, one is that I believe it's possible to, to do Kickstarters. In fact, it's kind of proven. <laughs> um, and two, that Joe has already done a successful Kickstarter and I'm also pretty good at that type of stuff and I've already, already proven it with Nugget. So we're, we're, good at, we're good content creators in that way. So because that's basically what compelling has been. Um, you mm -hmm. know, if you think compelling about science that. fiction, yeah, compelling suit. science fiction. And so, and then the other thing is, is Joe, because Joe's all in, it's kind of, it's a bit difficult to think, okay, it's going to take us like four, between four and six months to get this to where it really pops, where it's really, really good. Um, and that's too long for him to be all, all in on, you know what I mean? Without any income. Yeah. So we're thinking, okay, look, you know, if we can sell a, if we can sell a thousand seats, if we can basically raise some seed capital is what we're doing here. Um, you know, and also we'll make it so that it's possible that like, I guess up to just in case it really took off the content marketing stuff that we're doing, mm -hmm. we'll, we're going to put like 5,000 seats on the line in this way. Who, who's, who, who are your customers who have a hair on fire problem? Who, who really needs this? Well, that is the thing. Um, it's, it isn't really a hair on fire. Not, not every product out there is a hair on fire product. Mm -hmm. I mean, when, when, you know, would you consider that Google was a hair on fire product? I mean, in a way, but in another way, not so much. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
Okay, so maybe that's that's maybe yeah. that's a nice to have than a must have. Who yeah. who is your primary? I mean, who who do you think is really going to want it? I mean, why are they really going to want it? What what problem is it solving? That's my that's what I want to understand. Well, let me just um okay get some notes. I'm just going to read. I'm just going to read you what we've got for our what's what what's going to be on this uh, the sales page, the Kickstarter sales page. I'm just going to read you a couple of things, and then that might help explain some of that. Okay, is that cool? go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so what is morning brief? Uh, Morning Brief is a daily curated email custom to you about topics you choose. For example, Node.js, genomics, Elon Musk, graphic design. We scan over a million social posts every day and filter them down to your best 10 minutes each morning. Okay. As the internet grows, the amount of garbage content explodes. We have a vision of a world where you don't have to wade through clickbait all day to find new ways to level up your career, health, and personal knowledge. So some examples we have is keep up to date with new thinking in your field of expertise, learn new skills to fuel personal growth, um, e.g. cooking, fitness, personal uh, personal fitness, personal finance, um, and keep up to date with people you admire, like Elon Musk and uh, other people like that. <laughs> a lot of Elon <laughs> well, Musk in that pitch. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe two, maybe two mentions of Elon Musk. I think, I think I'm going to split that down. A lot of people don't like him these days, so you might want to... Okay. Cut that down. You know, he 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 made. I mean, I obviously he's done a lot of impressive stuff, but he's made a lot of enemies of the left because of his sort of pushback on you know masks, you know, CDC sort of stuff, or back in, you know in the early part of the the pandemic and. You know, kind of, I don't know, whatever, whatever. The bottom line is that he's, there's, he's, 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 he's now, instead of becoming, you know, let's have seven or eight years ago, instead of most people being really wowed by him, there's a lot of people who are now, you know, just are actively just don't like him. So it's sort of like, he's like a, he's almost like he's a Zuckerberg character now, unfortunately. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll so I would we'll, just, we'll I would, that. I don't know. Look, he means fine. I'm just saying I wouldn't, I wouldn't build a post around him. I would just, that's see, kind see, of a segue. Like what, what did you, did you get a, did that get across to you what it does? Yeah. 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 Well, here's the thing is, though, I, th- I think one of the key th- Oh, there was a great our article. It was, a landing, it was a guy who does landing page roasts. Yeah. Um, and I'll send a link to that. Um, and one of the things that he mentioned was not being very specific about the key benefits are. It's like, why do I, not the features, not really describing how it works, but what am I going to get out of this? And I think that's might be something you really want to, I don't feel like you spelled out as much. It's like you, you get to keep up with stuff. It's like the key benefit is you'll be more knowledgeable with less effort, maybe. Well, the key benefit is really essentially, um, we scan like, so, so you, you want to get to be more knowledgeable. You want to, to, to keep on the cutting edge of your, your field, but you don't want to scan a million posts. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, it's like you can very efficiently, <laughs> yeah. you know, stay up to uh, abreast of all of the most recent developments and areas that you care about. So, you know, one thing, I don't know, what is it that you're going to get exactly? You're going to get a list of links or what exactly is the, is the deliverable? Okay, I'll tell you. So, um, so you, let me just first of all say who we're looking. So we've got this section here. Who are we looking for to join the Morning Brief? Project? No, no, no. To, to answer my question, okay, your question. Like, what okay. am I going to get? You're going to get your, well. In, initially, you're going to get your own personalized Morning Brief every day. Um, okay, what free. is that? Um, is it that, just email? Is it is it, is it snippets? Is it is it? It's going to be an email. It, I know it's an email, but what's in the email? Okay, I'm going to show you on a screen share. Right no, no, now. no. Just tell me. Just tell me. Look, if I'm going to, you got to, you got to give me the, 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 the elevator pitch. If I'm in the elevator, you got to tell me in one, in one 
sentence. It's links it? to it's it's links, links to to the to the articles that you should be seeing and that you're probably not seeing because you're not scanning a million posts. Okay. So basically, and but but not just that. And this this is about the technology. It's not just like a keyword based system. So we we do the the technology behind it is we use semantic tagging for every article, which that's how we sort of map articles to keywords. You you know what semantic tagging is, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then we uh, look at different aspects of that article, such as how many comments it's got, how many likes it's got, and a few other things that are in our proprietary source, and we work out a signal ranking score. And so that's how we get something that's within the, within the zeitgeist of your specific, uh, whatever you're thinking about, whatever tags you're following, we get it to the top. So even if there's like 100 posts about that thing in, in the whole of the internet from yesterday, you're going to get the top three. Now, it seemed like what would be really useful, because if, you're, 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 if you're, you're trying to make it so that I can get up to date on, on the relevant information as quickly as possible, right? They don't miss anything. That's right. That you would have an extraction like, look, like these, this paragraph captures it, right? Because you know, a lot of times you can summarize like little mini summaries of the article. Like these are the key points, either, either the bullet points or a, a paragraph summary, the TLDR. Give me the TLDR link, title with a link, TLDR, title link, TLDR. Like, okay, now I know what the hell's going on. Otherwise, I got to go read everything, which is now I got another to-do list. You know, it's like I get, I subscribe to Washington Post, New York Times, and I get their emails every morning, and I can't decide whether it's a benefit of a curse. You know, because I'm like, on the one hand, you know, there's some interesting articles. On the other hand, very little of it is actionable. And now I have like this to-do list. I feel like I get every morning. Like, I feel like I got to read through all these things, you know? Um, well, you've just described exactly the reason why we decided to do the Kickstarter, because that is a very, very big problem to solve. So first of all, we're getting you the links. It's just the titles and the links that's going to be in the email. Yeah. So, the, and probably, you know, you specify how many links you want for a per topic. So, um, and if there's only one link per topic, we can only send you one. But if there's a hundred, then we'll send you to whatever your specification is. So if you say you want three links per topic, we'll send you three. If, you've got, if you want 20 topics per email, we'll send you three links for 20 topics where we can. But the, that, what you just described is a, is a difficult problem. And it's exactly the kind of problem that we'd like to solve, but it's something that we're not going to be able to solve straight away. But mm. we do need to start bringing money in straight away. So we want to yeah. build, um, we want to be mindful about the company that we're building. We don't just want to sort of just be hacking this thing out for six months like, I don't mean in disrespect, but we don't want to do what you've done with, um, you know, Academy. because we don't, we don't have your, <laughs> that money that you've got, you know, that you're sitting on to be able to, to pay for that. So we just need to get that money as soon yeah. as possible. Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. No, you got to get something going. I mean, I'm just saying, ultimately, I think you want something that's like a research assistant. So, you know, uh, you know, a research assistant would go and reread a bunch of stuff and maybe prepare a, uh, um, uh, sort of a what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. I, I guess you'd call it a brief, but it would it would it would have the summary of all the most important items so you could get through it in you know fifteen twenty minutes as opposed to trying to reread the articles and skim them and trying to find what's relevant or what's. We not. both think that the actual bread and butter of this product is not going to be that. We think the bread and butter of this product is going to be the dashboard that lets you search that lets you instantly flick around the best of the internet because when you you know when you look at that UI. And you can see how quickly you can move through stuff. That's that honestly is going to be the game changer. The brief is like the the, the email. It's that's the way in. It's the beginning. But I think it's going to be this. Um, I guess it's it's going to be like the hacker news for everything. 
that's what it's going to be like as if you had a hack and use for every subject under the sun right there. It's going to be like very Reddit? powerful. <laughs> no, because, because Reddit... I'm because kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, the problem is Reddit comes with so much baggage, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, there's so much baggage and, again, political stuff, and this is, you know, we're, we're going to peel away all of that. So there's no social aspect, it. there's no comments or social stuff, it's just... There, it's... there might be, in fact, what, what we're thinking is that, um, that those comments might be amongst friend groups. So more like mm -hmm. a, more like just a private, a private group of sharing around, around the content. So for example, you and me could share mm -hmm. links and, and comments before a podcast or something like that. Right, right, right. But I don't think, I don't think we're going to be going in the direction of a social, you know, like to compete with Reddit or something. Right. Well, that's, that would, that's, that would be a challenge. But I think there's, I think there's definitely something to be... There's definitely some room for innovation among like sort of so uh, social circles as opposed to you know having to deal with the whole internet. I mean, I think that's one of the that's one of the benefits, but it's also one of the downsides of things like Twitter. You know, it's just dealing with the hoi polloi and all these people who you don't really care what they think, and they're and, but they're just a, it's just they're a continual frustration having to have all that sort of noise in your feed. There is so much noise, and that's what that's what I get frustrated. Even going to Hacker News. You know, to just sort of find one, one or two stories that I'm interested in, I have to do a lot of skimming across Hacker News. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can already see with with the system that we're building that it gets me to the kind of stuff that I want much faster. Right. So that's why I'm excited about it. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah so we're, you know, we're 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 rolling it out, and um, we're I'm really working on marketing pages right now. Um, the goal. <laughs> the stretch goal is um, the next, you know, the first of next month, but I don't think that's going to be possible seven days. So it's probably going to be like two weeks or something like that. We always say two weeks. It always ends <laughs> yeah, up two, two weeks. weeks. Two, two weeks. weeks sounds like an eternity when it's actually nothing. You know, it's, it's right. feels like six months and it's really like three hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, how, how long have you guys been working on this now? I was just thinking about that. Um, you know, in a kind of hardcore way, um, Probably four months. It might go back further. I think four months. Okay. We'll just look at the first check-in here. Let's bring it back here. February. Yeah, February the 10th. No, okay. February the 10th, yeah. And how, how, how many hours a week do you say you guys are putting on it? Well, it, it, it sort of depends on the, on the phase. So at the beginning, I would say, um, for the very beginning, I, I put in a lot of hours, but Joe was still doing his, um, his contracting. And then okay. in more recent times, Joe's been like, just, you know, just hundred percent. Right. And uh, that now I've, I've got my sort of day jobs that I've had to do, but you, I mean, significant, a significant okay. time. Yeah. I mean, speaking between of, 20 and 40 hours a week I'm doing. Okay. <laughs> well, speaking of Joe Steck, he, is he called Steck or Stack? Steck. Steck, that's just as it's spelled. Okay. Well, I'm only going on what you told me in the past because I've never <laughs> I've never known and you've told <laughs> you me it's Steck multiple times. Every time <laughs> I say something, you say no, it's Steck. So I'm just I'm just <laughs> echoing you. You might want to we might want to ask him. <laughs> yeah, right. That's <laughs> your last name. Um anyway, he he had recommended that um uh, I, I that my daughter who's doing a lot of writing, my 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 middle child, um that she, he, there was a series of, I basically it was a course at BYU on writing science fiction and fantasy. And by this guy, I think it's Brian Sanderson, I think. And he's sold millions of books and is extremely successful. And um, he said it's better than any 
of the master class courses on writing and he had done them all. And so um, it's funny because my my daughter Izzy is just she refuses to have anyone tell her how to do anything. She just is like completely closed off to instruction. And I finally I was like, hey, why don't we watch this together? And so we finally started to do it and they're long. So we kind of work our way through a little bit at a time. And it's actually amazing because you get this guy who's, um, you know, obviously a, a, a master of his craft and been very professionally successful. And he just talks about the matter of fact, like this is this is how it works. It's been really funny watching her um, watch this because she's even though she's only 14, actually she just turned 15 a couple of days ago, hmm. even though she's young, she's written, you know, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of words <laughs> in her stories. That's amazing. Yeah. And, but she, so she's like nodding around, like kind of laughing and nodding at the things he's saying, like, yeah, uh -huh, yeah, I've done that. You know, it's just really funny having a 50 year old, having a knowing nod. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, cause I, I paused I'm like, was that you? She's like, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, I do that. You know, because one thing he talked about is like, when you write a story, are you, he divides it into sort of two camps. There's the architects, the people who write a, an outline a very complete outline and then they just go and fill it in. They know how the story is going to go, where, where it's going to go and how it's going to end. And then the, he calls them architects and gardeners and gardeners just says, Hey, I have an idea for a character or a situation or whatever. And I'm just going to explore it and see where it goes. I bet she's number two. Um, she started out, um, and as a gardener, just okay. she, she would come on. This is, she'd wake up in the morning and she'd have all these ideas, these stories. And then she became, then she started doing, um, becoming more of an architect she kind of outlining stuff like she remember one day she's i was like what are you writing she's like oh i'm right are you actually writing a story she's like no i'm just writing some background notes and outline i'm like well oh. she's like but it's 23 pages for this one character i'm like jesus <laughs> 23 pages she's like yeah it's probably too much i'm like well she's know, definitely going to be a writer at i think <laughs> yeah it was so funny 23 pages i've never written anything like on my life that's incredible oh um but uh, anyway, I, I, it's awesome that he suggested that. So if you're into writing, um, I mean, we're still just just starting out, but it's it's amazing and it's free. It's on YouTube. Um, just type Brian Sanderson and I don't know, writing classes or something. But it's cool That's to cool. actually sit there and be able to watch it with her and then just kind of make it like our thing, you know, mm -hmm. it's uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty, yeah. Pretty great. Oh, and I asked her, because one thing I go, you know, I remember I told you she started this animation channel. She did these weird, these, these, these like five minute animations. Yeah, you told me that, she, yeah. So she totally abandoned it, right? It's still growing. There's over 13,500 subscribers. <laughs> Even though it's like dead channel. I just check it out every once in a while. And I'm like, are you ever going to do that? Are you going to work on it? She's like, no. I'm like, I'm like, why? Because I don't want to. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> this could have been like a hundred thousand had you just yeah, kept going right, yeah. right now. I it's mean, gonna you keep growing. You gotta pay for college. What the hell? <clears throat> and um but on her stories, she's um I said, Well I said, What's her what's her most read story on Wattpad? And she's like, Well, she's like, I think it's probably this one, and that one had uh, seven thousand reads of a story. Which is a lot. This isn't like watching a video. Like reading a complete story, 7,000 Yeah, that's people. crazy. That's a lot. I guess her, one of her videos had 600,000 views. So obviously it's a different scale. What the heck? That's yeah. crazy. Crazy yeah. good. Is she, is, is she like plugged into monetization for that? No. You know, the thing about her is she does not care about that kind of stuff. She doesn't care what anyone thinks. Yeah. 
She doesn't care about money. She just, all she wants to do is, is right. Yeah. But you, I mean, there's, you might as well just, I mean, just go and plug it, <laughs> set it up. I mean, it's just free money. <laughs> yeah. Well, we will worry about that a little later. My, my, Sandy, we joke about how her, her younger sister, Early is, um, is going to be her business manager. Because <laughs> Early is like Sandy in that she's like on top of every little thing and get a bunch of stuff knocked out. And she's like already, she's like, I'm going to be an investor. I'm going to invest. And she's like, all she's like, <laughs> Sandy's like, yeah, you should probably go to law school and just be like, dude, you handle all the contracts and the investing. And Izzy will just, and Izzy says, she's like, well, my plan is I'm just going to live in Early's basement because she's going to be rich. <laughs> 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 she's just, just gonna write. But she's plan. gonna be rich off uh, off Izzy's work. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, so I think was yeah, exactly. Early's gonna get rich off of Izzy's work. Izzy's plan is to live in Early's basement because she's rich. <laughs> she's just gonna. She's gonna. So, uh, that's their life plan. I go and I talk to them every night. We talk about this all the time. I'm like, all right, that's so hilarious. what's the plan again? <laughs> to live in Early's basement. Well, that's quite a. That's quite an ambition. <laughs> so. um Okay, we should I give a little update on Math Academy. Yeah, please do. Or, I was about card. to ask that. Yeah. So, um, right now I'm caught on paying down some technical debt. Mm. Have I talked with you about this recently? Have we covered you, this at all? You might have mentioned some some te- technical debt, but just give us a, an overview, and then I'll let you know. Well, as you, as I as people who've listened to the show for a while know, I, at one point I hired a developer. Oh, the Siva look. Sivalod, yeah. The Sivalod, what do you call collective? collective. The Sivalod yeah. Collective. And, <laughs> you know, the best that I can tell is that he worked on it for a while, and then I think he probably subcontracted out to some other people. And then, yeah. you know, the code was looking pretty decent to start, and then, when, and then I took my eye off the ball, and then it just turned into just a rat's nest, complete. Mm-hmm. And some of the code that I've... Because we had to... Obviously, you had to add, I'd add some feature, add some complexity, and I went in to look at the code, and it was thousands and thousands and thousands of lines of the most convoluted, asynchronous callback garbage you'd ever seen. Like stuff that would be like, I would take stuff that had been in like, would be in, spread across four different files. An object, a bunch of global functions, some global variables, stuff stuck in HTML, stuff in unrelated <laughs> objects all kind of different naming conventions, this garbage. And I could, and I could take like 150 lines, combine it down to 10 synchronous lines. Mm-hmm. And it was just like that over and over. It was just like, you oh just like, gosh. look, you're like, I have no idea what the hell is going on. It is really scary. Just a, a huge mess. And uh, it's really frustrating. I mean, and so, yes, yeah, it's just like pay. It's like if you discovered that, you know, you know, you had like, I don't know, somebody had stolen your identity and ran up all your credit cards and stuff and now you're paying mm. them all down or something. It's just, it's just really That's bad. Nightmare. But I am, it's getting really, really clean. It's frustrating because it's taking more time than I would have liked, but it's, it's at least the code now. I'm like, okay, like I could explain this to someone who isn't even very technical and they could Is go, anyone okay, else coding on it with you or just you no, now? Just, me. just you. Yeah. At this point, I don't have any interest in anyone coding on it until for a while because i i think you and i've talked about this we're both when we code we're kind of more we think of sort of crafting something mm. and you know it sort of evolves and it's like there's so much to it and i have so much that i have in my head about what we're doing and then i'm thinking through that it's just much faster if i just i think do it i think at some point it'll be a much more stable 
in terms of what it is and how it works that I could bring someone in. But if I do bring someone in, I would, I would, I would, I would only be someone who's really good. You know, I'd want somebody like Guyon or whatever, if I could convince him, you know, um, who's, who's as good or better than me. And then, you know, I, they, they can just figure stuff out and make the, and, and improve the code base. But mm-hmm. I don't want to inflict it on anybody at the moment. <laughs> it's like, like, this is a totally confusing. I'm like, yeah, I know. But a lot of, I've done, I've rewritten a lot of it, but there's still some, po- there's still like some stuff that just needs to be totally redone. So with, what are you thinking on like dates and stuff? Um, what's your, what's um, your schedule? I, you know, we're trying to, I want to try and get going this summer, but I'm trying not to think in terms of dates because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, it launches when it's ready. Right. I mean, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't get it going any faster than I can get it going. Okay. Um, what are the pieces that are in the way from, from the oh, launch now? Well, there's a lot of little stuff, you know, there's a lot of onboarding and there's sort of things like that, but I just, um, I, I'm, so the, here's the one thing that I'm working on right now is the ability to create free response questions, which I think I talked about a while back. And yeah, that was, that was huge. And that's you all integrated. That yeah. Yeah. And that's all integrated with the, the, our whole sort of question structure, topic question structure, which are certain knowledge points and groups and this and that. There's so much to it. And that was, those are the pages that I had to completely rewrite that were each were like three or 4,000 lines of spaghetti code. Oh my gosh. I mean, it took, it was like a Rube Goldberg machine with booby traps. It was just, and it's really, it's been really, uh, very, a lot of work anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. but the one thing, one thing that we're working on that's really cool is, and this is something that Justin who's working with, with me on it is, is, has been spending his time on, which is the, um, is a, an adaptive diagnostic test. So if you say, oh, I want to take calculus, I want to take algebra or something, it can give a diagnostic in terms of maybe you know a little bit of the material already, or maybe there's some of the, there's some of the key foundational knowledge that you don't know well enough. And if you don't know that, it needs to, it can build, customize the course to have those, to build those either along the way or before you get into it. Because the, the problem that people usually have with math is, is not the math, new math, it's the math that they needed to know coming into it that they really don't know, that they think they know, or they had mm-hmm. forgotten or didn't learn well enough or whatever. And if you can ferret that out early in the process and rebuild that stuff, then it's pretty smooth sailing. Mm-hmm. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I just wish you, I wish it existed. I really want to do it. Yeah. It, it keeps coming up with Joe because he's so good at math. And so we'll be talking through stuff and like, he'll completely get it. And I'll be like, what, what's, what's going on here? And I really would love to learn those basics. (laughs) (laughs) Love to learn those basics. Yeah. Well, um, but the, but the thing is too, you don't want to give somebody like a two hour test, right? It's just too much. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Justin is a real expert in, in, um, sort of the data science modeling stuff and it all runs off of our giant knowledge graph. Right. And, you know, and all that, all that structure and information and, um, it looks like it could probably uh, converge to like a 90% accuracy, give or take, within like 15 to 20 questions, which is pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. So you're sit down That's for, very good. Yeah. you know, 20, 30 minutes and it's like, okay, we know exactly. And then we can, we create like a customized course for you, right? So, and that's just using like basic logic or is it using something like... I don't know, um, the way that neural nets kind of just know from 20 questions, they work back to something. 
Well, it 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 um, you have this giant knowledge graph, right? Yeah. With all this information, that's the that's the structure that's working on top of. And thinking about well, if you don't, if you if like say you miss a question, what does that tell you about its prerequisites? Okay, then you probably know everything. The chances of that you know it's 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 sort of ancestors or whatever is so high. you're sort of looking up the ancestry tree and going okay at what point does it does this question if you don't know this it means you mustn't know up to here kind of thing right so if you know it then the things below it increases the probabilities it doesn't know for sure it increases the probabilities below it that you know it right yeah yeah if you don't know it it decreases the probability it above it that you know anything above it you probably yeah, don't know anything yeah. above it and you know so you up and down so you've all it's 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 very sophisticated and, mm. and um that's great it has a lot to do with probabilities and and sort of graph theory and stuff in terms of how you propagate all this stuff and come up with convergent model but um and then of course you have to have an elaborate knowledge graph like we've created over the past five years to even work on <laughs> but once you have that once you yeah, have that that, that has to be your first blog post like Look at this insane thing I've been doing for five years. Like, who who in the world would do this path? You know. Yeah, I was thinking about that. So the other <laughs> the other initial blog post that I'm thinking about is comparing an automated learning system to automated uh, autonomous driving. So this, you know, there's there's like six levels of autonomous vehicles, mm-hmm. and they say at each level like this is manual or it has like cruise control level one or level two, or whatever, and it goes on up. And um, doing the same thing, having like a table that compares like an autonomous learning system, because that's what we have. People are like, oh, is it like Khan Academy? Is it like this? I'm like, no, it's an autonomous, uh, it's an automated learning system. And for people to understand that, you say, well, think of an aut- autonomous vehicle, right? And you go down and you'd be like, oh, it can make, a, it, can, it can recover, it can do things itself, it can figure, solve, figure out when things go bad, it can do all this stuff. Um, then I think people can get a really clear idea about what it does. Cause it is a difference in kind of like nothing else has really existed like this outside of a lab. I mean, there's some like mini, there'd been researches where they'd done like little mini digital tutors. It was like some like in the eighties, they did someone wrote some like digital algebra one tutor and it covered a small net of topics, but nothing. Well, you'll have to codify that level. I mean, that'll be great in the post and mm-hmm. you codify it and you can sort of um, show where you are because obviously you, you know, you'd be a three, you wouldn't be no. a six, right? Yeah, we would. We're the whole way. Oh, you're you're a six. Yep. So you're a self-driving car. Yeah, no, no teacher required, hundred okay. percent. So it can recover. It can identify what you what you don't know. It can figure out what you need to do next. If you struggle, it can uh, remedi- remediate those weaknesses. Hundred percent automated. Wow. Well, that's a bit. That's a big claim. I yeah. I believe you. I believe you, but yeah, no, um, we've have we've have a ton of kids who've who've done it already. It isn't like I just build this work, and we have kids who've who are doing this all one hundred percent on their own and mastering everything from algebra to multivariable calculus and differential equations and all. I'm that just stuff. having this vision of Jason's software like gradually going and taking over the world, <laughs> training well, people. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, let's, let's just for we're about step one at this point. But you know, what what I've been doing is I've been talking to um, some of our early users. I mean, I'm really talking to parents who are you who have their who have their kids using it and they're not part of the of the school system like they're doing it they're homeschooling or or, or they're supplementing what's going on in the school because they're not happy with it and. Um, uh, you know, Jeff Welpley, you might have met him. I remember at the mm, Texing yeah. Summit. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Whenever that was 2011. So he's using it. They're using it. He and his wife, Caroline, are using it with their daughter. 
at Maddie. And I think she was just a little like not really getting a lot of her class, her school class was not very challenging and stuff. And so they've had her using it and, and um, yeah, it's been huge. They, they love it. And I'm like, really? Cause it's still pretty rough, right? I mean, the UI and some other stuff, it's still pretty, I haven't had time to go to that next mm-hmm. phase of just making a really nice onboarding, really nice, you know, UI experience, just kind of straight nuts and bolts. And, um, you know, so I've been talking to a variety of parents like that and, the, the 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 general consensus is that they love it like they'd be very disappointed and their and their complaints or things that they wish they could have are really small and easy fixes did you listen to the biology interview i sent you i did about half of it yeah i think he i think that he, that guy would really love what you're doing yeah yeah i mean he's he seems obsessed with math and 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 teaching people and mm-hmm. he's sort of like hooked into the bitcoin type thing but uh well well, math is, is, I mean, you know, like the whole hacker news community and all this stuff. I mean, math is a big, is an important thing for a lot of these people, right? Mm. Even if people, even if, you know, people don't use it day to day, they're like, hey, I'm a Rails hacker or I do whatever. There's math is, has always had a, a, had sort of a special place in their heart, right? They're, they're mathy people, you know, it, some to more extent than others, but that's why anything that comes up on math is like, there's always a decent, pretty decent chance it's going to hit the front page, right? You see it all the time, Like you'll send mm-hmm. me a link to it and like, oh, they're talking about it. Like, yeah, I know. It's like people care about math. They like math. It's important to them. Math education is important to them. You know, I mean, stuff on like category theory and stuff. I'm like, who the hell even understands this stuff? Like this is super advanced you know, this is like graduate level, postgraduate level math, and it's still hitting the front page of Hacker News. I mean, that's crazy. You know, I think it's because I don't know math that mm-hmm. I end up doing occasionally brute brute force coding. Mm-hmm. It's like you've heard of brute force attacking. It's like brute force coding. I'm just like I'm just trying all sorts of different trial numbers and, and like just hoping and that the, the like the screen moves into the different position. Yeah. Yeah. The um. Absolutely. No, I've seen you do that. I've actually, I've actually thought about that myself, that how you do that. I mean, one of um, Polya, Polya is a mathematician and he had a, uh, a famous book called How to Solve It. And one of the primary problem solving techniques is called guess and check. Hmm. Right? Like, I'll try this, I'll try that, you know, and that's very, it's very useful <laughs> a technique, right? A lot of times you usually have nowhere, I, you have nowhere to start. And so you just let's throw in some numbers to see what happens and get some sense of the shape of the problem, right? Mm. And it's like, yeah, you may not, by doing that, you may not get a real deep understanding of the structure of what's really going on. But well, you, you can often solve the problems doing that. Mm. And if you don't, but if I'd you love to the, know the underlying, I'd love, I'd that's why I personally have been, I mean, but dude, I've been saying this for five years. Please release it. I want to use it. Yeah, no, I, I know, I know, I know, I know. Well, so what I'd like to do this summer is release the diagnostic thing as sort of a, as a way to generate interest. So like if anybody can go on and take a diagnostic, right? They say, hey, I want to find out what my level of math is, or I want my, my, my daughter had kind of an iffy year this year because a math teacher in the remote and they're going into algebra two next year. How ready are they? Or I want to take, should my son take calculus or not or whatever, right? There's a million reasons why you might want to figure out where your kid is at in terms of, should I put them in the honors or non-honors? Should we get a tutor? Should they do a summer course? Right. Mm-hmm. Did they learn anything this year? Where are they relative to where they should be? If you had a diagnostic that would take 
15 to 30 minutes and then would come out with a, an output, like a very clear detailed learning plan. Like here are all the things they know and don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. And say, Hey, do whatever you want with this or mm -hmm. click a button and start a, and start a customized course with a 30 day free trial. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. So Very I think that'd cool. be cool. So what I think is that a lot of people could end up using it for free. A lot of teachers could use it and just for free. And they just say, Hey, there's this really cool tool. And I have all my kids come in and take it. And then. That'd you know, be just, great. Yeah. Just even, yeah. In that way, in that sense, it's, it's like super valuable for teachers yeah, so across the country. Yeah. You give away some value for free and that's a hard thing to do. It's hard. I mean, how, you know, diagnosing where people are and, mm. and the thing is like, um, a lot of the diagnostics that are out there are given by schools are really frustrating. They're not very good. I, you know, I'll list their names, but they're not good. They're painful at best. Mm -hmm. They're not very accurate in a lot of ways. And, um, they're not free and they're not easily available, right? It's like the district has to buy it and somehow partition out, you know, the tests. If a teacher wants to give it to some of their kids and it's, they do it once a year. If I say, hey, a teacher can go on anytime they want and just go, hey, I'm gonna go up here and I'm going to add the email of all the kids and it's gonna say, please take this diagnostic before Monday mm -hmm. or something, right? And then they get a full on plan of everybody, right? They'd be mm -hmm. like, wow. And especially if you had this really nice report by unit, by this, and every kid's waiting, you could cluster it by which kids didn't know what. Say, hey, all these kids are really good with their linear expression, linear equations, but they're really not very good with the quadratics. You're like, okay, I'm going to focus on dealing this with my kids next week because apparently they what didn't get that? enough of that last year. What was that software? Was it Win WinZip that everyone used? Every company mm -hmm. used? It was just like the de facto default software that every company used, every person used. And yeah. then because it was just so ubiquitous that they sort of monetized on the back end because they just had like this giant market share. So I was, I, what you're sort of describing to me makes me, makes me imagine, yeah, that's this, we just use math Academy that, you know, every school, that's what they use. It's just this, this basic tool. That's why everyone knows about math Academy. Right. And you still want to do is start it from the bottom where it's like it's 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 families and kids and teachers who might use it because it's free or easily available to them and then the schools and districts eventually uh, um adopt it because everybody's using it anyway right it's, it's like standard we yeah we, we bottom up it's supposed to top down yeah, yeah that's so great i'm really excited about justin has done some amazing work on this um on that this uh, awesome. algorithm but you know it's kind of like, it was kind of you know he spent he worked as a data scientist for three years full time Hmm. And we, he basically, well, he was so advanced in school, like he had already done several years of math in high school on his own. And so by the time he got to college, it was like, yeah, he, he just got, he, he had a lot of free time and he got more, he was more interested in, in, in this, uh, he was uh, working at this, uh, data science, um, company. And so he, he learned a ton there and then he has a, it, it, coincidentally, he has a lot of background in sort of with, um, working with graphs and, and, and networks and stuff, as opposed to a lot of data scientists, they don't work, they don't know how to work in that domain. Cause it's totally different than just sort of, you know, data rows and columns. So this might be a good segue, um, to talk about a couple of uh, topics that you sent me. Um, one of them is the California department of educational's uh, education's proposal to slow down math education. And the other one is um, the University of California's decision to no longer consider the SAT or ACT for college admissions. Right. So they're they're very much related, and I think they're both misguided and going to be detrimental to math education. Um, mm. Unfortunately, there's this movement from the left primarily, um, and just to clarify my political position, I'm 
I don't, I'm not, I don't belong to either party. <laughs> I, I'm somewhere in the middle, depending on the issue, I guess. But um, this has been very much like a kind of a, it's a, it's, it's the left has been very, is very obviously concerned with um, what's called equity, which is really not about equality of say opportunity, but more equality of outcomes, which is a fool's errand because everyone's different. And when you start going down that road of doing everything you can to ensure that, when you struggle with, with whatever your initial ideas were, the, the end goal, the, the, what you end up doing is like, well, let's just not measure it, right? Let's just mm -hmm. slow everybody down or take away the measure. So in the math education world, what you've, this, there were some articles that came out of, um, I think San Francisco and then uh, a couple of years ago and then Boston a couple months ago and Virginia. And now this, this sort of draft proposal from the department of education out of California um, is this idea of getting rid of accelerated and gifted programs in general um, because they were not the, the, the demographics of these, of the gifted or accelerated classes were not representative of the populations. Right. And essentially what was happening is there were way more Asians and there were not nearly as many Hispanics and or, or blacks. Okay. Mm -hmm. And in the environment right now, people get very, very sensitive about that. So one solution is you just get rid of just, well, we don't have gifted programs, hmm. right? It's too many Asian kids in there is essentially what they're saying. Right. Um, and or we don't we don't have excel we don't have tracking so what they would do is and what typically happens is you can quickly determine you know okay some of these kids are really quick with this stuff and some of these kids are really struggling with this kid with this stuff and of course i know all about this because i've i've dealt with you know that's what we do right yeah there's huge variance huge natural variance among what kids are capable of in math as is with everything athletics, music, anything you want to measure, there's going to be a normal distribution, right? And you have kids that are really fast at running and you have kids that are really slow and there's nothing that you can do about it. It's just mostly who they are. You have kids who are really tall and you have kids that are really short and most everybody's somewhere in between, right? <laughs> just right. what it is. It's not an issue. Usually most people, it's like people figure out, well, I'm good at this. I'm not good at this. I'm like this. I'm not like this. Some kids are really extroverted. Some kids are really introverted. Right. And, you know, you know, my, my, my oldest Colby is gifted mathematically, not the most gifted. There are kids that in the program that are even more gifted and there are kids that are even more gifted than that. There are kids that could learn five years of math in one year. No problem. And then there's kids who really struggle. And then there's like my, my daughter, Izzy, who has dyscalculia and really, really struggles with basic numeracy, even with, you know, real high paid um, expert tutors, really struggles with a sense of, of just how numbers work at all. And that's just anybody who spent any time in the world with their eyes open knows this is just, this is just obvious, right? But um, when you don't have um, equal representation among groups, it starts making people politically uncomfortable.
Why is this happening? Is there some kind of racism or is there something unfair? And the easiest way to shut it down is to just not do anything that would reveal um, reveal that to be true, right? But one, one question I had for you is why is it happening? Why are the classes so full of Asian kids? Is, is it just that they just generally have a I mean, these, is it just random? I mean, what, why, so then why you get to the nature versus nurture argument. Yeah. I don't know. We don't know. Right. Okay. But it's my opinion that the solution is to be honest. If there is a discrepancy and do what you can to lift up the kids that need, that are struggling. Right. The reality is that most people don't need to know a lot of math. They just don't. The most of the people who write these sort of hand-wringing articles in the press couldn't pass an algebra one test. They couldn't, much as a calculus test for Christ's sakes. Mm. So everybody acts like it's this really big deal, and it's really not. It's only for a very small number of kids that are going to go major in engineering or physics or maybe computer science. Very small number of kids. Most people, most people do not need to know anything more than basic arithmetic and a little bit of statistics. And, in their, in their, and as evidenced by the fact that the vast majority of functioning, high-paid adults could not pass, um, you know, a ninth grade or tenth grade math test. I mean, doesn't this create just a great opportunity for you, even though it's not particularly <laughs> yeah, okay. great? Yeah, so, okay, so let me back up here, though. Yeah, see, the, first of all, I think it's really depressing. It's really depressing because you're going to ruin math for a lot of kids. Kids, if, 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 if you take these kids that can fly and you just slow them down into first gear, it's like being in gridlock traffic. Mm. Oh, it's a nightmare. They'll hate it. And, and um, you know, they cite this evidence that heterogeneous classes are good for all kids. It's totally not true. The, it's absolutely opposite of what is not good for kids. Kids, the reason we don't have 10th graders and 3rd graders in the same room is because they're at different levels. Right. Mm, yeah. You, makes sense. It just doesn't even make any sense. And you could go to, well, you know, okay, of course you don't put, you know, 12th graders with first graders, but do you put sixth graders with, with fourth graders? No. Where do you, you draw know? the line? You, 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 you want to, and the, and the more you can group people by their relative strengths and weaknesses, the better, the more efficient you can be. It's really difficult when you have a class when you have a wide range, a lot of variants. It's very difficult. Mm -hmm. And only the very best, most energetic, most organized, and most experienced teachers can do even a reasonable job at differentiated teaching. I mean, I've mm -hmm. seen it. I've, I've had to do it myself, even to a small degree, and it's really hard. It's really mm -hmm. hard. Um, and so It's context switching. It's like context yeah. switching is one of the hardest things to do. And yeah. You're doing, you know, educational context switching right there in the class. Yeah, and it doesn't even make sense. And half, you know, you okay, so you have, because you could say, well, you could cut it in two. You say, well, there's the kids who are struggling and the kids who are advanced. It's usually you could probably cut it in five, five different groups, right? Even then, you, you know, every kid is really at their own level. And, but you could say you have, we have like, you know, 10% of the bottom are completely lost. They have no idea what's going on. In fact, they've been lost for the last six months, if not last couple of years. You have the 10% of the top that are, this is, this is so easy for them. It is so boring. They can't even, they're totally tuned out. And then you have kids kind of below them who are like, yeah, they're, it's not too hard. They basically are doing fine. You have kids at the bottom who are struggling and they're getting it, but they need more practice. And then you have kids, you know, right? And it's just, that's how it is. That's just how it is. That's why math education is done has always been somewhat painful for people. One way or the other is too hard or it's too easy, too tedious. So 
anyway, but just by dividing it into, say, okay, we have an accelerated track and then we have a, a regular track. And you want to get rid of that. All you're doing is you're just going to torture the kids. Mm. And all you're going to do is just slow it down. And then few kids are going to be that much less prepared when you get to college. And right now, as you go in, the vast majority of these graduate programs in, in, in STEM are from, um, from Europe and Asia. But isn't it going to break school's average score anyway? Like, it's a, it's a real mistake because it's going to bring their overall score down. Well, sir, here's what's going to happen. And this is what people don't understand. So what the people who are trying to do this, I mean, their heart's in the rest, right place, right? They're trying to make everybody feel good about themselves. And we're all, you know, I don't know, learn math or whatever. But the reality is the kids that need more are going to be miserable and they're, and they're going to be unchallenged and the parents are going to get really frustrated. And so what the parents are going to do is they're going to pull them out of the public school system. They're going to be like, this, this school's a joke, right? They're, my kid isn't being educated. Um, and so then you're going to pull out all the high, a large number of the high-performing kids, even more than has happened already, from the public school systems. There's going to be a continual outflow of, of your brightest kids. And, they're going to, and the parents are going to be like, well, I'm going to send a private school, a home school, a charter school, whatever. They're going to find another solution, right? Wait, on, wait a second. Um, I just said wait on the second because Jack always says that. Um, but do, I missed a point here. If this passes, it means that Math Academy can't continue in Pasadena because that's no, public school. I don't know if the tree. I, I don't. I don't think it's like a dictate. It's more like this is a framework that the state has adopted, and that is, I think, sort of. It'll be up to individual school districts to figure out how they want to implement this. Hmm, We're kind okay. of our own program, but. It could put pressure on it, you know, let's say another superintendent comes in, maybe the superintendent decides they love this new approach that they want to get rid of. They don't want to teach calculus in high school anymore. They don't want to teach algebra in eighth grade. They want to slow everything down. They're not very um, up on the science of, of, of gifted education or any of that. So they don't really know. And so they adopt it wholesale and it could put pressure on the program. Now, what's going, what we have going for the program is that we have hundreds of kids and their parents who are really into it, and so it would be a lot of political blowback on them from these parents. Also, Math Academy, from what I've seen, doesn't seem like it's weighted towards any specific race or something like that. Like, no, you've got, no, it's yeah, pretty reflective got, of the district. Yeah, um, right. But like I, you know, I'm not too worried about it. Because I think I think it would it would be it would be difficult for a superintendent at this point to come and undo it. And even if you did undo it, it would take years to unwind it because all these kids are way advanced and they, you can't force a kid to take a, the same math course that they've already passed or a lower math course, right? Mm. So you'd have to spend years unwinding all the kids that are already going down this path. Mm. Um, but I, it, it just makes me sad for all of the, all of the kids who might be um, damaged by this and bored to death. I mean... Yeah. It's it's just it's just going to make the U.S. that much less competitive. Because I got news for you. I mean, China ain't do, isn't doing this, right? Right. Of course, they're going to get their best and their brightest, and they're pushing them. They're going to teach them, and you know, in India and everywhere else, Japan and you know, Europe. I mean, Germany. I mean, they're not they're not like well, we're going to go as slow as the slowest kids, and just so that nobody feels bad. I mean, are you out of your mind? Because already, if you walk into the graduate programs, you look at it, you're just like, wait a minute, like. Half the kids in, the, in this physics department are from China. Why is that? It's because they're, not, it's because they're better prepared. 
is because the education, the K through 12 education in the U.S., is not nearly as good in, in, in Asia. That's they are why. not Got messing it. around. That's and where it happens. Yeah. They're years ahead. And then now what's happening now more and more and more of people are coming over from places like Asia, getting their PhD, and they're going back to China. Mm. They're not just staying in the US anymore, right? Because there's yeah. a lot of opportunity back there. Yeah. Right? And, and it's just um, it's just bad. It's gonna be bad for our society. You want to find the talent and you want to cultivate the talent, you want to encourage the talent because those are the people who are gonna solve our problems. What you don't want to do is say, well, you know, it makes some of the people feel bad that they're not as good, so we're gonna shut it down. But the reality is the kids here's the here's the here's the truth of it. The kids themselves don't give a damn. The kids who are not good at math do not want to do advanced math, and they definitely don't want to be in a class with a bunch of kids who are really good at math, constantly trying to, you know, but exactly that's what bored. I was thinking. That's what I was thinking. Like it, 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 it makes it even more unequitable because then you've got really smart math people with people in making other kids feel bad. Yeah. It's like, they're just like, well, oh, I can't do it. You I know? don't know. I don't understand it. And they just, and, and then, and the kids are constantly sigh. Oh, it's so boring. So easy, you know? And then, um, and the parents are not confused about this. I mean, it's like, you know, would I, would I be upset that Izzy was not in an advanced math class? No, I don't care. You know why? Because she doesn't care about math. It's not her thing. Yeah. She's a writer, right? It's like, do I care, Colby, do I care that he's not in an advanced writing class? No. He sucks at writing. He doesn't care about it. It's not his thing. You know what I mean? Just like every kid, what you really want to do with education is allow kids to specialize earlier in the things that they really want to get good at and do those things. The problem is we try and make everybody across the board do all these things that they don't care about. And a lot of it just doesn't matter and isn't even useful later in life, I think. So, you know, the SAT, ACT is the same thing. The Cal University of California voted not, initially they were just suspended them because of the pandemic for the first year. And they sort of, they've sort of, you know, they can say never waste a crisis. They've kind of used this as a way to kind of, well, we're going to postpone it 2025. But really the reality is, is that this is all coming out of the lawsuit that, uh, that a bunch of kids, um, or a bunch of, um, I think it was like an, it was an Asian um, consortium that was suing Harvard because it's like way, way harder for Asian kids to get in Harvard because vast majorities of them score at the much higher end of like these standardized tests and they're not getting in and nearly the same numbers. Like you, like I, I can't remember what the number is, but they would have to score on average like 150 points higher in the SAT to be at the same level as other kids. And so what one way to get around that is just like, well, let's not take standardized tests, right? And we just have some very subjective, holistic measures. So it's really kind of an anti-Asian um, move, which is which is sad. Um, mm. You know, I, I I don't know. I mean, it, the whole thing makes me kind of sick to my stomach. I, I think you just got you, you. We want everybody to do well. Um, I, I I think we want everyone kid to reach their potential. We need to be honest about each individual kid about what their strengths and weaknesses are and what they want to do. And um, trying to do the social engineering where we hold kids back and we don't look at actual scores and we try and I just think that's just a road to hell. And mm -hmm. I think what's going to happen is, like you said about the scores, high performing families are going to pull their kids out of the school systems. And then the schools, the, the scores are going to drop right? Because you're losing your stronger kids. And then the kids who are just below the very top kids are going to leave too, because, hey, they're looking all the, all the, all the families of all the gifted and smart kids are mm -hmm. leaving. They're like, wait, we, mm -hmm. you know, we're leaving too, right? Mm -hmm. And then the scores drop precipitously. 
Mm-hmm. And then parents are looking at their good schools report or whatever, and they're like, well, let's take what schools. And they're like, man, the scores in these schools are horrible, right? But it has an implication for funding as well. Right. It's $10,000. In California, at least, it's $10,000 you get from the state per, per student. So every student that leaves, it costs $10,000. They lose $10,000. Mm. Um, well, I know this because but, well, my the, wife is exactly, on the, yeah. Past edu- yeah. piece, the, the Pasadena Education Foundation Board, and like, we're really involved in all the fundraising and all that stuff. So it's really bad to lose kids. It's really bad to involve heavily involved parents of high-performing kids because usually the parents that are really involved in the school community and volunteering mm. for the PTA and doing all these kinds of things. Well, um, it's it's so bad. Like just just talking it, you know, just talking it through end to end. It's like it. What it reminds me of. It's like um, you remove. You know, if if you go ahead and remove grass from a from a from a hillside. Well, you know, then it rains and then all the trees fall down because they can't, they don't have the grass anymore, which, which basically was the root system. It's like, it's like an unintentional, you know, um, environmental effect, essentially. It's a whole system. It's a whole system. Yeah. And so what happens is then the people who are left in these schools are from the lower socioeconomic groups, right? Which are going to be overrepresented over by minorities. And so all your gifted Hispanic and black kids are going to be left with a paltry education where all the high performing families are going to private schools or are doing outside enrichment with things like math Academy or art of problem solving or something else. Right. And those kids are going to be two, three, four years ahead in math. They're not going to just do calculus. They're going to do much more advanced stuff. It's an arms race amongst them. They're all competing with each other. Right. Hmm. And so then you have all these kids in these public schools who who barely done pre-calculus and, and then they show up at university and they're like four years behind everybody else. And they're just mm-hmm. like, I can't even, I can't even, I, I'm not even the same ballpark as, as the rest of these kids. Is there, and, is there a solution? I mean, well, hopefully, I mean, there's, there's quest, there's like this quest for comment and people are starting to write, there's some pushback and a lot of parents are obviously really upset about this. Um, yeah, I believe it. hopefully it gets shut down, but it's a continual, there's a lot of people pushing. Uh, I mean, there, there are groups within ac- the K through 12 education that really want to see this stuff happen. And I think this is just going to be, um, another, I would say it's a death nail, but it's really going to hurt the public school systems uh, in, in California, especially if this spreads to other. It's just more and more people. Because what will happen is there's one thing that parents care about more than anything is their kids. And they really, really care about the kids' education because they understand that can be the big difference maker in terms of what their life is like. Right. And so they want to say, hey, look, I'm not going to, you know, give you a million dollars, kid, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a really good education and then you go and you make your life. But as a parent, I'm going to teach you good values. I'm going to teach you work ethic. I'm going to teach you how to be a good person and get along with people. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to make sure you are very well prepared educationally. And then you go to your thing, right? And that mm-hmm. is like an upper middle class or middle class, like standard. That's what, what people are going to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And if a school system is not going to do their job, parents will just say, all right, fine, we're out. Or yeah, he'll sit in this dumb class years, but they're going to do all this extra stuff. And they're, they're, they will be two or three years ahead in math. And, you know, because they'll use Math Academy or, like I said, or go to what is this thing, Russian math, you know, program or mm. art of problem solving, whatever, whatever they choose. And um, it's just, it's just going to be, it's just really short-sighted and it's, it's really bad. And um, it, a lot of this stuff won't be felt for like a decade or two. And people look back and God, what really happened in 2000, early 2020? Really after the pandemic, it really started to go down even more. It's like, why do you think? <laughs> it's kind you of know, like removing um, 
you know, when when you remove a uh, the uh, oh, why can't I think of the word? Uh, you know, all the stuff that we outsource to China. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. sort of it's like it has. It, it seems like a good idea right now, but it's like, then you look back, you go, wait a minute, like all oh, our chips are made over there and all of that, you know, it's like, it's, it's yeah. not necessarily a good. Idea. It depends. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of unintended consequences, mm. but, um, uh, you know, and, and the thing is that, you know, it's, it's really going to hurt the kids. Like I said, it's going to hurt the kids in the program. I mean, we have in math Academy, we have a lot of kids who are socioeconomically disadvantaged, but gifted. Mm. And they're benefiting from the fact that we have this really, um, aggressive and world-class math program that they get to be part of with, with, with no cost to them. Right. And they could compete with anybody. They can out-compete most people hmm. and they're Hispanic and black and whatever people want to say that they don't, they shouldn't have going from They're They're, you know, they're doing calculus in eighth grade for Christ's sakes. They're mastering it. Yeah, and they're just going to pull good. that away. So it's, it's just, it's been just turning my stomach. It just makes me really sad. And I, I feel bad. I just, I don't, I don't know if, um, if it's something we can even, hopefully we can stop in the short term, but eventually something like this might, might be enacted. But, you know, I, on the bright side, it definitely falls right in lap of math academy, right? Because a lot of parents are going to be like, well, you know, we don't want, we didn't get into the private school we wanted and, you know, we're not willing to move, but okay, so what we'll do is we'll, you know, we'll do math academy, we'll sign them up. And so we'll get a lot of parents who are going to be using it this. It doesn't even matter what your price point is because... Like people can afford whatever that price point is to yeah. give their kid that leg up, and yeah. you're not going to be charging twenty thousand or something. No, you know, no. They, yeah. no. I mean, I think we're going to be somewhere affordable. in the like fifty to hundred, hundred and fifty a month, depending. I haven't kind of decided where I want to be on that. On that, yeah. I mean, like you know, like Russian math, which is like a an enrichment math enrichment kind of thing. That's I think it's bigger on the East Coast. It's like an after school once a week thing. They charge like three hundred bucks a month or two hundred fifty bucks a month. Wow. But, but Jeff, Jeff Welpley was talking about, I think they were sending their daughter there for a while, but then it was just like, well, it conflicted with her soccer practice and other stuff. And they're like, this is so much better because you know, she does it every day and it's somewhere more convenient and it's way, even if I charge That's, 100 bucks a month, it's like, it's like, it's like, instead of doing it once a week for 300, once or twice for 300, doing it like five days a week, it's personalized, it's, it's more effective and it's a huge discount. I bet they're going to say they'd be disappointed if it didn't exist. Well, it's, yeah, they did. Well, that's what I told, um, you know, when talking to my team about, I'm like, you know, like this is early days, but these are, this is really strong signal that we have product market fit essentially, because they're all like, when I ask them what they want, it's like, ah, you know, it'd be nice to get an email with an update or be nice if I could adjust this or it'd be nice. But, (laughs) and those are all really nice to haves and they, and I want all of them because I'm not happy with it as it is, but the essential thing that it does, it does really well. And, um, it's, it's, it's get that point where people will be really disappointed. So I think, I think we got to have a market it's going to take a little time to, 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 um, build it up, but you know, all this push to, uh, towards slow math or whatever, it's going to fall right into our lap is, is, uh, I, I'd like to win and be successful without that happening to the country. You know what I mean? It makes yeah. me feel bad that we would benefit from the fact that the, as, as Phil jokingly said, he says, he says, it sounds like the public schools are going to are getting out of the business of educating people in math. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. right. Really we're going to slow it down and we're going to talk, yeah, it's just talk about other stuff. They want to, they want to, they want to interlace it with all kinds of social justice issues as part of the math curriculum. And it's just like, that is, is math class, man. It's not social studies, right? The people who are, who, 
want to do math are just going to hate it now. People are just going to make kids hate math. It's just bad. So anyway, that's mm. been a big thing lately. Um, it's kind of interesting where we are in the world. But So you had a couple of other things you wanted to talk about, um, which are kind of interesting. Um, well, where are we time-wise? We're, um, let's see. One, one hour 35. Okay. Well, how are you time-wise? I'm good. You're good? Yeah. Okay. Well, I just want to say one thing. There, did you see the um, the 60 Minutes um, special on the UAPs? Or the no, but I, I, I didn't, I didn't watch phenomena? it. I didn't watch the in, entire thing, but I, I have been tracking it. The, um, Morning Brief was bringing that up, and I, looked, I did look at a few articles about it and found it quite interesting and thought that it was something. It reminded me of when we had the UFO guy on, and you, you've been speaking about that. We had Richard Dolan and, and Leslie yeah. came and interviewed them. Yeah. So... <laughs> It's, it's, it's one of these things, it's, it's fascinating because it's, they're finally saying like, look, we don't know what this is. Right, right. We yeah. can't identify it. It's not a blimp. It's not a balloon. It's not a cloud. It's not Venus. It's not swamp gas. It's not a, um, you know, it's like, you know, we're seeing these things for minutes at a time, multiple, mm -hmm. four different pilots are seeing this thing for like five minutes. They got yeah. tracked on, they got like this radar, they got like infrared, they're tracking multiple, you know, and there's one, the one guy I was talking about, they were seeing it every day for like two years. Yeah, I, so, I, I did actually put, yeah, I posted this on Twitter, like, so, I mean, it, it's insane. Sorry, keep going, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Well, here's, here's what I'm going to say about it. There are, it's, when you look at the data, no uh, standard explanation can can fit it it can move faster than anything that we've ever seen mm. it um it Instantly can change direction it change direction Instant. there's no it can overcome gravity there's yeah. we have no our physicists have no sense of how that would even be possible right there's no physics that we understand <laughs> so like well you know china maybe have someone's like what are you even talking about yeah like are the greatest word theoretical physicists have no idea how you that it doesn't even seem possible yet somehow china has some really cool drone that they're doing i mean it's just stupid um yeah it's it's physical because it's knocking out it's popping up on, on multiple radars and stuff anyway the bottom line is it's it's refreshing that people are not discounting it are willing to look at it i think one of the problems that we've had with this stuff is that people are not are, are willing are, are willing to dismiss data that does not agree with their conclusion my conclusion is that it could not possibly be something otherworldly, whatever that might be. Therefore, I am not even going to look at it or I'm going to ridicule it, which is not part of the scientific process. Ridicule is not part of the scientific process. Ignoring data that does agree to your model is unscientific at its core. It is intellectually honest to say, we don't know, but it is none of these other things that people it, nobody's seeing things. It's not a trick of the light. It's none of that. No, it's with, tracked. It's tracked. I mean, the one, the one in the sixty minutes interview with the two Navy pilots just talking to each other about it, just like, okay, it was, it was there, hovering above the water, and it was completely still. There was nothing. There was no propellants. Yeah, <laughs> there, there was, was no, no jets. There was, there was no control surfaces. There was nothing. And then it just flew up. And the next thing I know, it's like a thousand foot above me, and, and it, it just, just like just disappeared. Disappeared in, in like a second. And then it's just it disappeared. But then, but then it's on someone else's radar, right next door. Yeah, like so, like, yeah, a thousand miles away. Thing. Yeah, they picked it up onto their radar. So it's like, yeah, yeah, and 
you know, it's what's what's I mean, Lex Friedman, you've seen his podcast. He does, you know, he did mostly mm-hmm. focuses on machine learning, but he he's a he's a I think he had a PhD in machine learning from um, MIT and he has like a machine learning startup, I think. Anyway, he does a lot of interesting, um, he interviews a lot of, you know, brilliant scientists and stuff. And um, he interviewed that one guy from the 2004, the Tic Tac, they call it the Tic Tac video, the yeah, giant yeah, Tic Tac or something. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's fascinating. He's like, yeah, I mean, they were above it. They were over it. They were going around it. The thing, the thing just disappeared. I mean, it's just, there's no just writing it off. And that's one thing that's always, fr- fr- it's like, it frustrates me when people jump to conclusions on one side and say, oh, it's the, 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 the aliens are here to teach us about the world. And, you know, it's just like they just make up all this bullshit, right? And then you have people on the, uh, on the other side who are like, oh, it's just, a, it's just um, you know, they're seeing things. It's mass delusion, just nonsense, right? And it's like, both are wrong, and it's like, I, I think if people are intellectually honest and brave enough to just say, look, uh, we don't have an explanation and be curious enough to go, it'd be interesting to find out what it is. I mean, my view is we don't, could there be alien civilizations that are more advanced than us? Yeah, there could be. The galaxy is immense. They could be not just hundreds or thousands, but they could be millions of years more advanced than us. They used to be the equivalent of probes. You know, that are just that that maybe are all over the, you know, the different civilizations have over. They're just tracking things or who knows. You know, it's funny. I was listening to All In podcast, which is a great podcast, by the way. I highly recommend it. And David Freeberg, who's sort of the science, the science guy in the show, he's a and he's invests in lots of startups, but he's more of the science, you know, kind of quantum computing type guy. And he's like, well, you know, I just can't imagine why would you ever you know, once we can, once you get super advanced and you can simulate anything like the hollow deck, like why would you ever need to be physically somewhere? And it's like, you know, his way of debunking it was because he couldn't, he couldn't conceive of a motivation, which is not very convincing. I say, but you're not looking at the data, right? If you're a scientist or, you're, or just a rational objective person, you have to look at the data, right? And, um, I don't know. I see the problem is, is that one way to come across as a smart, serious, credible person is just to dismiss everything. Right. right? I'm a serious person. This is, this is not a serious well, thing. Well, definitely don't, definitely dismiss UFOs. <laughs> right. Like that's right. the, but I think, but I think, but what's happening now is a lot of smart, credible people are saying, you know what? There is something here. This is interesting. Like Eric Weinstein, who's this, you know, physics guy he's like peter Thiel's, like sort of he's head of investments or something like he's a brilliant guy and he's like yeah you know we were it's like he was he's tweeting something about like we were how like like the government has been gaslighting us on this for decades like it's all it's nonsense anyone who would even consider it is crazy or whatever and it's like it's obviously not true they haven't taken seriously i was time. very surprised that um that trump didn't mention anything about this stuff like yeah, he's it, not a very curious person, so it wouldn't surprise me that he wouldn't be. You know. But I always thought he wanted to know. I always thought I always thought like one of the one of the things he wanted to do in there was to sort of find out about conspiracies and stuff. He, well, but maybe know. he just thought he'd sound crazy if he said it or something. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I I think it's beyond the sounding crazy, right? Way too many credible people. Are, 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 are intellectually honest to say there's something interesting going on here. 
I don't think a lot of people are like, well, I'm not going to jump and say what it is, but it's not any of these other things. And I think we should study it. And that's, that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm a curious skeptic, you know, along those lines, it's really interesting. Um, I was, you know, the whole Wuhan, the, of uh, leak theory. So initially yes. it came out, it was like, okay, this SARS-CoV-2 was of zootonic origin and it's bats through, you know, some other animal at a wet market or whatever. Right. And uh, I can't remember what sort of uh, right wing um, uh, congressmen's through, you know, kind of throughout this Wuhan Lake. And then the media just jumped on, like, how dare you suggest such an unfounded thing? And it was like, it was like all the opinion writers were just piling on. And there was a couple about how irresponsible and there was just no basis to, to believe anything right. like that. And I was immediately, my, my spider senses started tingling immediately. I'm like, you people have no idea what happened and you want to shut down a possible mm -hmm. considering what might, what is a very what is a plausible line of, of, of investigation. Cause we don't know. And there were, um, there was a signed letter that came out with, with a bunch of epidemiologists who were like, yeah, this is irresponsible. And there's nothing to suggest that it was, you know, created in a lab and it was, you know, the evidence is vastly in favor of some kind of town. So there's this great article that came out that's like the bulletin of atomic scientists or something. So this is like hardcore. And if you read it, it is like, absolutely. The evidence is way more in the favor of a leak. Absolutely. I thought that there was like some some part of the DNA that sort of just seemed like that had to have come from um, from a lab or something. Like there was there was some pattern in there. Well, so it was like a repeated pattern from stuff that had been done in labs before. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not a I'm not an expert on virology or genetic right. anything, but the stuff I was reading today. So it's like a it's like a 45 minute read, and I, I gotta be honest, I only got like two thirds through the way through mm. before I had to go to lunch and get ready for the show today. I was trying to read it and I was like, you're going to put it. it in the show notes, right? I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. But again, this is from the, this is a you know, legit source. And so the guy who wrote, I'm going to say some, some really curious things. So the guy who initially drafted and organized the letter dismissing the Wuhan leak is the guy who um, got the funding and supported the funding of the of the researcher at the Wuhan lab. Mm. Major conflict of interest. And the work that she was doing, the, the main scientist there, she was doing gain-of-function research on the coronavirus. It is <laughs> in the NIH, the, the grant proposal. <laughs> right? <Okay. laughs> Highly da dangerous, right? Um... And, um, and using the techniques that would exactly lead to this kind of a thing. Also, you know how like laboratories have um, different levels, they have biosafety lab, level one, two, three, yeah. four, right? Mm -hmm. And four is like the stuff we see on the movies and there are like these hazmat suits and pressure yeah. controlled stuff. Well, it turns out that their lab was BSL-2 to BSL-3 and that there was actually some warnings by, I think it was our intelligence agencies or even like uh, the, uh, one of our um, funding agencies were alarmed at the lack of seriousness in terms of protocol at the lab, at the Wuhan lab, um, because people don't want to do BSL-3 or 4 because it's a pain in the ass. 
it's way slower. You got to be in these like spacesuits. You got to, you know what I mean? It's ridiculous, yeah. right? Well, BSL-2, which is where a lot of what they were doing the work as at, do you know what that is like? That is your dentist office. That's BSL-2, lab coats and gloves. Mm. Not BSL-4. It's not like, well, they had a space shoe. They were in their hazmat suits, but <laughs> they didn't have, you know, pressurizer. No, 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 no. Also, they were showing that um, the uh, uh, there, it looks like there were several lab workers that got sick with coronavirus, coronavirus symptoms in the fall. That the um, usually when something evolves in nature, there's a lot of sort of like you can tell because there are a lot of sort of um, different variations on what it actually looks like. There has been nothing like that found. The, Except the, for now, now that it's out in the public and we've got one, the variants. Right. Well, now, well, this later, but I'm probably when it first yeah. came, right? Yeah. yeah. The, the initial SARS one, they found the path directly through them, because usually they'll find a path through the, the zootonic path through the different animals. They found it in four months. MERS, which is the really deadly one that came through the Middle East, they found that one nine months. Now it's been, you know, what, 18 months? They got nothing. They have no idea. There's no evidence. There's no evolutionary evidence. Anyway, um, again, I'm not a, uh, uh, I'm not an expert in the area, but it looks to me like, you know, it looks like the evidence definitely points in that direction. And, but it's like, mm -hmm. but it's one of those things. It's like, when, I remember when, right when this was all happening, I went out to lunch with Justin and we're there and I, and I, I read that article and I always people, the original article that some Republican congressman said something and then the Washington, Washington Post, New York Times, everybody else just jumped down their throat. And I was like, you know what, Justin, that doesn't sound right to me. How do they know? I said, if I had put my money on it, I said, it's too co coincidental. It is too coincidental that it's happening right by the Wuhan, the Wuhan Institute. Mm. And they're, when they're studying coronavirus, no one to be studying coronavirus. And of course, we didn't even know they were doing gain of function stuff and they were BSL2 and they were supported by the NIH and all How stuff. How did that article last 45 minutes? I don't understand. Like, what? Like, is it just loads of filler? No, it's detailed. It's very, very technical, very detailed. Huh. But it, you actually have to read it, Justin. I know you don't That's want to read That's a huge read. I mean, 45 minutes it's, is it's, like... It's amazing. I, I'm reading and I'm just like, <laughs> holy crap. Like, this is... This is... Uh, I mean, it's, it's still indirect evidence. I mean, because they've sealed the records. They, China yeah. has sealed the records. They won't even show it. So there's no direct evidence. So we have indirect <laughs> evidence. But the indirect evidence is like... I mean, if this was a trial, they'd be convicted. It's, if, it's a, if, you're putting, if this was a trial against someone... <laughs> By jury. Murdered, they'd be in jail. There's no question. <laughs> It's like, give me a break. I'd, I'd, I'd bet, I'd bet money that that's it. I mean, it could be wrong. I could be wrong. It could turn out like, oh, we finally found it. But it's just way too much points. There was way too much conflict of interest. There was way too much, um, circumstance, there's way too much circumstantial evidence. There's way too much, um, what do they call it? Like almost what they call like that forensic evidence and stuff. And then, and then the things that they used to say, well, it couldn't have happened were just basically huge flaws in their argument. And see the, and the problem is, is that this stuff gets so political. And people shut down their brains, right? It's the same thing with the yeah. UAPs. It's the same thing with the Wuhan th stuff. As soon as people make stuff political, um, 
and, and, and emotional. Everybody just shuts down. Nobody's willing to ask questions anymore. And, and nobody wants to. I mean, I guess some people say, well, I don't know. It's nothing that doesn't affect me. I guess there's nothing I can do about it. So why am I going to care? And I, I get it, right? Like everybody's got their work and their life. And it's like, you know, I'd rather spend time either if I'm not working, I'm going to spend time with my family or watch my Netflix series. I want to read about, you know, this. But, you know. But also, like, how do... Okay, you finish that thought and then I want to bring Well, I mean, up. it's just... I think I think that's I think one of the problems when is that I think one of the things that people need to do a better job at is be willing to look at data and keep an look at the data. Keep an open mind, but look at data and use rational thought. The problem is that when you don't use the rational thought and and and, and then all of a sudden you fall down a, a QAnon hole, right? You can't do that, right? It's it's better that people just believe everything they read in the papers than go down some conspiracy rabbit hole. But you have to keep your eyes open to things that are like, you know what, that doesn't make that doesn't add up. Right? That QAnon thing has broken families up. Like there's uh, that's horrible. Yeah, like just just someone goes off the deep end in the family, and then they just they end up with a divorce. And oh yeah, no, and it's, it's it's gotten really it's it's like tens of millions of people have fallen down that rabbit hole. I think I think obviously when it, none of that stuff came true. I think a lot of people were starting to turn to wake up. But you know, it just shows you how easily people can get you know, suck down some rabbit hole when, when things appeal to their innate biases, you know? But this thing is you have to be willing to say like, you know, if more data comes, I could be wrong, right? Like if, if, yeah. if, if, if something comes later and says, okay, that article in the atomic bulletin of science or whatever, you know, we've actually found a zooteric orchard. I'd be like, okay, great. I'm willing to change my mind if there's a better data and a better argument. But if you refuse to look at things um, because, you know, people who you tend to agree with think that way or not, I think it's I think that's just dangerous. And that's that's why it's like I think it's dangerous that people say, oh, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat or I'm a conservative or a liberal. Then you just shut your brain off and you outsource your thinking to some political party. Right. And you end up being wrong a lot. It's like, don't do yeah. that. In fact, you should not commit to anything until the minute you walk in and the day you go in and vote. Like, don't count on my vote. Don't yeah, kind of no, prove is, it to me that, you know, that is so true, you know, and I think, uh, I think a lot of people, it's all, you know, because it's like, everybody's like, I mean, we're social animals. We want to belong. We want to feel, I think people feel comfortable when they're around a lot of people who they think have their same values. And then, but then what they do, they end up kind of shutting down the brains and just outsourcing their thought. And I think that leads to problems on, on, on uh, I mean, we've, we've, we certainly saw, you know, some huge problems on the right with, uh, you know, the, uh, capital stuff and QAnon and I think we see stuff on the, on the left. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. This is great. I'm so, um, I love the fact that we've gone down this dark, this dark path. Cause that's like the old days, the old texting. Remember you uh, used to have the, what, what did we call that se section? Letters from the dark side. Letters from the dark side. Yeah. Now I turns out I do have a, I do have to go. Um, so mm -hmm. we'll, but also I want to show you something once we finished, um, recording the show. Okay. So, yeah, I want to get your feedback on something, and I do have to go. Okay, one last thing I want to say. Yeah. I got a show recommendation. Okay, great. Invincible. Invincible. Invincible is an animated superhero series. Okay. It's not like anything you've seen before. All right. Warning, it can be ultra-violent. Like, shockingly okay. ultra-violent. Okay. It has, like, the last episode, like, an IMDb rating of a 9.7. 
I remember awesome. like, like Breaking Bad was like the nine point two or three was like the highest I'd ever seen. I mean, Game of Thrones is like an eight seven. I mean, it's okay. I don't know if it's a nine seven. I don't know if anything's a nine seven. But just the fact that it could be in the nines is really saying something. So it's, you like it? Yeah, well, I watched the whole family, and it was the the little shocking. The end of the first episode, I'm telling you, is going to shock you. Um, and you're like, oh, oh Jesus! But um, yeah, we we all really liked it. Invincible. Okay. So it's um, was it Robert Kirkman, the guy who created Walking Dead? He was one of yeah. the writers, and it was it's based on a. I guess it's a really popular um, uh, comic book series that Kirkman did. That sounds awesome, but I mean. Even that, was that show, um, oh, where is it, where is it, where is it, where is it? Rick and Morty. So have you watched Rick and Morty? I haven't, but it's, I watched a couple of said it's funny. Yeah. Because there's so much, I mean, there's like major of every kind of possible, you know, v like showing guts and decapitation and all that kind of stuff. So I, yeah. I, I'm interested to see if it like competes with Rick because I've never seen anything like what they show on Rick and Morty. Oh, well, maybe, yeah, maybe it sounds better. I don't know. Uh, yeah, Rick and Morty, I, you know, I, I have to, I have to um, watch that again. I've watched like one or two episodes and my buddy James, had, you know, is a huge fan and yeah. he's right. I mean, it's a very smart show. It's, it's well mm -hmm. done. Um, but yeah, I, I'd love to see some people watch Invincible, see what they think. If they haven't seen it I'll already, check it out. It's good. Oh, and last night we watched, Colby and uh, Justin and I watched, um, oh, I was Army of the Dead, which is a Zack Snyder, it was like a, it was like a oh, bank heist. Yeah, I haven't heard of it. As, yeah. During a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's you pretty good. You love the zombie stuff. It's you pretty good. Stuff. I mean, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a zombie movie. So it's, 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 it's no. You might moved a bit. Sorry. It's no Citizen Kane. Not okay. that I love Citizen Kane necessarily, but you know. Speaking of Citizen Kane, I just watched um a biography not a story on I guess it's kind of kind of a biography on um Orson Welles on the making of The Other Side of the Wind. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. I have not. Crazy. Um so we 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 done now? We Yeah. Well, except uh, I'm gonna I want to ask your opinion on something after we sign off. Got it. Okay, show and tell time. All right, guys. Yes. That's a wrap. We're out.